Welcome to Triumphant's podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. From 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, I'll begin reading at verse number 20 from the English Standard Version. It reads like this. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice and no one answered. No one paid attention. But then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and he laid it on the wood. And he said to them, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering 
and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. I hadn't planned to read this verse, but verse number 41 says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. If I could, for point of emphasis, I know I've already read a lot, but if I could take you back to verse number 24. And it says, And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call the name upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. This morning, I would like to title our sermon from this passage. I would like to title our sermon, The God Who Answers Prayer. The God Who Answers Prayer. Y'all pray for me this morning. Earlier this week, Lady Key and I were in the car together, and she shared with me this line. It's interesting what you find out about a person when you know what they pray for. As soon as she said it, I knew right away that it would be the idea to open up our time together this morning. Because even though that line was actually from a close friend of hers, it was as a result of that friend having decided to join us on this 50-day journey, prayer journey, as we approach Pentecost Sunday. And as a result of her joining with us in prayer, she has begun praying praying with one of her friends every day. And it has been through this time of praying that she has learned so much about this person. Simply by listening to what that person says, was praying for. She was able to learn a lot about that person, making her say, it's interesting what you find out about a person when you know what they pray for. How true and accurate that is, isn't it? I wonder if we were be able to eavesdrop into your prayer time. What would we learn about you? What do you pray about? What keeps you up at night on your knees? What is important to you? What is troubling you? Who do you pray for the most? However, beyond what we pray for, the challenge most of us face and the question that most of us wrestle with when it comes to prayer is whether or not God will answer our prayer. Isn't that the dilemma that we all deal with? As we pray, we want to know, God, will you answer us? Well, this morning, as we look again at the prayer life of Elijah, I believe that we are to be assured yet again that indeed the Lord God does answer prayer. Despite what it looks like, despite what it seems like, despite what it feels like, despite the odds that are stacked against God, what our passage this morning emphatically demonstrates is that it is the Lord God who answers prayer. I know it may not look like it, 
And I know it may not seem like it right now. And I know it may not always feel like it. Sometimes we don't feel like God answers prayer. But the Lord God, he does answer prayer. In our passage, Elijah puts it very plainly in verse number 24. He says, you call upon the name of your God. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And you have to understand that when he uses that phrase to call upon the name of the Lord, that is the phrase that is initially used to communicate and say in scripture that we are praying to God. It's first found in Genesis chapter four after Seth is born. And it says, and then they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so it is a calling upon God to do what he has promised to do, that God would be who he has promised to be, that God would be who his name says he is, the great I am. And it says, you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And indeed, it is the Lord who does answer. We drop down to verse number 40, 38. It tells us that the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. See, there was no mistake about it that the Lord God had answered Elijah's prayer. And the encouragement from this text this morning, it becomes even clearer to us when it's pointed out that the word answer is repeated more than any other word in this passage. Over and over again, we hear this word, answer, answer. And it comes to a special emphasis and climax in verse number 37 when Elijah says, answer me, O Lord, answer me. Isn't that our prayer? Isn't that what we cry out to God? God, answer me, answer me, O Lord. But indeed, God does answer Elijah's prayer. But I want us to remember that we are told in James chapter 5 that this man, Elijah, was just as human and ordinary as us. We're just all ordinary people. And he, Elijah, is ordinary just like us. And, yo, what Elijah did, he simply prayed. That's why last week we began to look at the recorded moments of Elijah's prayer life so that we would be encouraged and inspired to pray. This is his second occurrence that is recorded of his prayer life. And he simply prayed. He is not some exception to the rule. He is not someone, bless you, who is granted special access to God. No, Elijah, as I told you, Priscilla Shira said, is an example to us of what happens when an ordinary life intersects with an extraordinary God. And so we are to be assured and encouraged to remember that it is the Lord God who answers prayer. This is made even clearer when we see that those who prayed to Baal, to that God who was the God of fruitfulness, the God of the storm, the God of rain even, and of thunder, that when they prayed to Baal, they prayed to him frantically. I hope you heard in the text, all morning, all afternoon, and even until the evening. 
And then it says again and again, yet there was no voice and no one answered. Look at verse number 26. It says they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of of Baal. Here it is from morning until noon. You hear that time marker? They were saying, oh, Baal, answer us. There that word is again. But there was no voice and no one answered. Y'all, they were frantic. They limped around the altar. That is also translated danced around the altar. They did what they thought they could do in order to catch their God's attention. But at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And here it is, y'all. Listen, it says they cried aloud. It is that same idea of crying to God, and they cut themselves after their customs. They thought that if they would cut themselves, their God would come. But blood gushed out upon them, and as midday passed, here's another time marker. It says they started in morning until noon, and then it says that at noon, Elijah mocked them, and then in verse 29, it says that midday passed, and they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But you need to understand the offering of oblation there. In other translations, it says that is the evening sacrifice. But even after the evening sacrifice, after praying all morning, and after praying all afternoon, and after praying all the way into evening, after dancing around the altar, after cutting themselves, after crying aloud, there was no voice and no one answered. No one paid any attention. Y'all, they, they were up from morning to noon to night, frantically going about trying to get their God to answer their prayer. But no one answered. No one paid attention. There was no voice. And then in stark contrast, in verse number 36, it says at the time of the offering of the oblation, again, I told you that that means that is the time of evening sacrifice. After they've prayed to Baal all day long, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. Verse number 37, answer me, answer me that this people may know that you are Lord and God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. Y'all, what took them all day to pray for and they still didn't get an answer for, the Lord God answered Elijah's prayer in a matter of seconds. That is amazing to me, y'all. That they prayed all day long, going through all these rituals, trying to get their God's attention from from um, sunrise till sunset. But yet they hear no voice. And Elijah simply prays earnestly, answer me, answer me. And in a matter of seconds, God answers his prayer. And I want that to encourage someone on today. Because James encourages us to pray as Elijah prayed because he was a human like we were, like we are. But we see the stark contrast here with Elijah's earnest prayer and the prophets of Baal's frantic prayer. 
Because it's to clue us in on the fact that we don't have to go through motions to get our God to respond to us. If we pray earnestly and fervently, as Elijah did, God answers prayer. But in that, we learn that it's not so much about how we pray that matters so much. It's it's not that it matters how we pray. It's not that it matters that we do some dance or we cut ourselves. It is the matter of the it, it is is that what do we pray about matters more than how we pray. It's not so much about how we pray that matters, but what we pray that matters. See, many of us look for solutions on how to pray so that God will answer our prayers. But if you remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he gave them what we now say is the Lord's Prayer, remember, he doesn't begin by teaching them how to pray. Instead, he teaches them what to ask for when they pray. Because many of us, we are looking for solutions to get God's attention, but perhaps God is trying to get our attention. See, this this contrast is drawn here between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal to help us to understand that it's not about the antics that we go through. It's not about how we pray that matters, but it is about who we pray to, and it is about what we pray. Do you remember what Jesus taught his disciples how to pray when he says to them, pray this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here it is, y'all. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, I hope that we will notice in this passage the substance and the content of Elijah's prayer because what we are to learn from this passage is that the Lord God answers prayer, but it's not about how you pray, but it is about the content of your prayer that matters. In my preparation this week, I came across this little story of a little boy who, when his mother would fry chicken when he was younger, he would always volunteer to pray. He would volunteer to pray because he wanted to be able to keep his eyes open when he prayed, to keep his eyes on that fried chicken while he prayed. He wanted to watch that fried chicken, and before he was about to finish and close his prayer, he would have his hands folded, but he would unfold his hands, and he would put one hand right beside the chicken. So that as soon as he was finished praying, he would be able to grab that favorite piece of the chicken that he liked so much. And in his prayer, he wasn't really thinking about God. He was thinking about that chicken that he wanted. Y'all thinking about that fried chicken y'all going to have later on even. He had, to, he, he had to pray because he really wanted to get rid of God so that he could get to the chicken. And many of us, we use prayer in that way. We use prayer because we're really not trying to get to God. We're really just using prayer because we want to get to that thing that we want God to give us. Perhaps our prayers aren't that shallow as the little boy with the fried chicken, but I hope you get the point. See, we can be assured that God answers prayer 
But perhaps the thing that we need to wrestle with is what are we praying for? Because you can tell a whole lot about a person by hearing what they're praying for. See, 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 we need to lean into this passage. And we, need, and we need to consider what is it about Elijah's prayer that God hears his prayer. I want us to know that what's happening in this passage is that if you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah comes to King Ahab. And King Ahab and his wife, they are worshiping Baal, this this god of fertility and of fruitfulness and of the storm and of rain. And they're worshiping this God. And so so Elijah says to him, listen, God is going to cause a drought and a famine. And he leaves. And what's happening here when we pick up on this, this contest between Baal and the Lord is that the drought is still happening. But the drought is about to end. Matter of fact, that's how 1 Kings chapter 18 begins. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. After three years of a drought, saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. The drought is about to come to an end. And what these people really want, what they're really searching for, even if we see we see in 1 Kings chapter 18 early on, what Ahab has been sent, he has sent Obadiah to find some pasture because it has been such a drought that there's no grass to feed the cattle. They are looking and longing for water. And they think that water is the thing that they need. But we see... In Elijah's prayer, in the the motivation, the impotence for his prayer, what they really need. He says to him in verse number 21, I hope you caught it. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. See, see what what Elijah is putting before them is, listen, y'all been going to this other God to find that he, see if he would meet the needs that only God can meet for you. And I know we look on these, these folks and we, we trivialize it and they say, we say, you know, how, how immature of them, how, how, um, how, 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 how crazy of them uh, to, 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 to engage in idolatry. But do you know how many times we go to other things hoping that they will satisfy us in the way that only God can. We have turned our back on God. Or perhaps you say, I haven't turned my back on God. But you know what you're doing? You're limping. It is like you are straddling the fence. You are between two things. And what God really wants from you is a heart that is wholly devoted to God. See, what I love about this passage that came out to me this week is that before God sends rain, God sends fire because God is more interested in our hearts than he is interested in giving us rain. And many times in our lives, we're praying for rain. And what God wants is for us to pray for our hearts to be changed. See, if we get the rain before our hearts are changed, we'll continue to worship the Baal. We'll continue to worship all the things that we go to instead of going to God. And God is saying, no, I want your heart. That's why 
When Elijah prays, he prays in verse number 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. It was their hearts that mattered to God. Listen, God dried up the rain for three and a half years. He used Elijah to go to Ahab and Jezebel to give word that there was going to be a famine. And then he sent Elijah back to say, the rain is about to come. But before the rain comes, I want you to to pray that fire will fall down from heaven. Because if they'll see this fire fall down to heaven, their hearts will be turned back to me. Verse number 38 says, the fire of the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you know why God sacrificed Jesus on the cross for us? Because he wants our hearts. And a lot of times, in the moment of drought in our lives, we can assume that the thing that we need most is that physical desire to be met. We think that that is our truest need. But what God wants to give us is a changed heart because that is the ultimate answer. He can fix any problem that he wants to. But if he fixes the problem and he doesn't have your heart, what good is it for you? It was their hearts that mattered. He wanted them to know that the Lord is God, that it is God who answers prayer. See, scriptures tell us all throughout scripture, it tells us that sometimes we can be real carnal in our prayers. James 4 and 3, James tells us that we ask, listen to this, y'all, and we do not receive. And he tells us why we ask and do not receive, because we ask wrongly. I love the way the old King James Version says, we ask amiss. We ask so that we can spend what we're asking for on our own passion. Listen to what James says. James says, we are adulterous people. He tells us, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He tells us, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But as we hear that, y'all, we we can't hear that without thinking about the fact that, yes, we are enemies of God, but Jesus has come so that we can be friends with God. Jesus has come and he has sacrificed and died on the cross to bring us in right relationship with God so that our hearts be holy and devoted to God. Y'all, let's stop limping between two opinions. We can be real carnal in our prayers, real fleshly in our prayers. When was the last time you prayed, God, let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done. 
perhaps the reason why we're not getting the answers to our prayers is because we're praying amiss. We're praying wrongly. We're praying only for our desires to be met. But when was the last time you prayed for God's kingdom to be manifest in your life? See, God is after our hearts. That's why Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says that the spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. So the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for us, the saints, according to the will of God. And you know what verse 28 says? And we know that God works all things together for the good of them that love the Lord and walk upright. See, 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 we've, we've got to, in our prayers, want God's will and God's kingdom to come over our will and our kingdom. Perhaps the reason why we're not getting the answer to our prayer is not that God isn't listening or God isn't answering. Not that we're not doing enough, but it's because we're we're not praying what we ought. See, this passage is trying to teach us it's not about how we pray, but it's about what we pray. Verse 36, again, it says that in the time of the offering of the oblation, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came there and he said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He calls on the name of Yahweh, that covenant name, the name that Elijah has been named after. His name means my God is Yahweh. He says, let it be known this day that you are God. God wants to be made known in your life. Perhaps you can join with me. I've tried every morning since the beginning of the year, maybe two or three days I didn't, didn't do this, but I've, I've tried my best before I look at my phone, before I go to the bathroom, before I brush my teeth, before I say good morning to Lady Key, I've tried my best to roll out of bed and get on my knees. And I begin my day praying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, on this day, would you allow your kingdom to invade my world? God, I want to be a part Your kingdom work. I want your will to be done. Not my will, God. Put my will aside. Let your will be done. See, we have to wake up in the morning. It's interesting that in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches them how to pray, that later on in that same chapter, Jesus says to them this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all that other stuff that you're worrying about, that you're praying about, that chicken that you want, God says, I will add that to you if you would seek first my kingdom. God wants our hearts before he gives us rain. And he's going to send the rain. But before he does, he wants our heart. And I know Things may not seem like it right now, like, like you're saying to yourself, God, I don't, I, I don't know if you're going to answer my prayer. But God, perhaps God is going to do something to reveal himself to you. And even in the moment where it doesn't look like it, it doesn't seem like it, and it doesn't feel like it, 
I want you to remember that God is still at work. See this passage, it closes with Elijah has told them to, to fill three, three jars, excuse me, four jars of water. And he says, listen, I want you to pour it on my sacrifice. And he says, not just one time, but two, not just two times, I want you to pour it on it three times. And remember, water was hard to come by right now because there had been a drought in the land for three and a half years. He says, I want you to waste that water on my sacrifice. Because even though you think it won't happen, it won't work, even though it doesn't look like it, even though it doesn't seem like it, even though it doesn't feel like it, God's going to show up. And when he shows up, he's going to do it so that your heart would be turned back to him. Because he's after your heart. And right when it did not seem like God was going to do anything, Elijah offers up this prayer. And in seconds, the offering and the wood and the stones and the dust um, was all licked up with the fire. I don't know if you all know someone by the name of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, he, 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 he coined this, this technique called the rope-a-dope. And back in October of 1974, in the rumble in the jungle, when Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman, people wondered why it was that Muhammad Ali was always against the rope. And it looked like he was taking all of these blows from George Foreman. George Foreman was undefeated at that moment. And, and, and Muhammad Ali, it had been three years since he had fought. And so he didn't have the legs underneath him that he, that he once did. He wouldn't be able to dance around the wing, wing like he used to. He could no longer sting like a bee. Um, what is it, fly? Fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And so, so, so he, he leaned against the ropes. People thought that he was taking all these punches. But little did they know that Muhammad Ali was doing all of that so that, so, that, so that even though it looked like he was at a deficit, his opponent was losing in the moment. His opponent was giving up all his energy, punching him. And, and Muhammad Ali was using the rope so that his legs would be strong towards the end of the fight. And he would be able to bounce back off the rope even when it looked like he was at a, he was, he was at a detriment. And even though it looked like he was losing, he did it so that he would be able to overpower his opponent in the later rounds. See, what we see in this passage is that it looks like God is working at a deficit. It looks like God is losing. It looks like he's pouring all of this. Why are you pouring all of this water on this, on this um, sacrifice? It's going to be impossible for fire to take over this. But God always works from a deficit. Because God wants us to know when he works it out for our good that it was him that did it. That it was him so that we would turn our hearts back to him. And I know that there's somebody's watching who you know that God did something for you late in the midnight hour when you couldn't see it, when you couldn't seem like it was going to work out, when you couldn't feel like anything was working. God turned it around. And that's what God does. He works from a deficit so that he can get our attention. I know your situation feels like it's losing right now. I know that, that it feels like there has not been any rain, any, any water for three and a half years. But perhaps the, perhaps the rain is on the way. Perhaps the drought is about to come to an end. But what God really wants is your heart. Before you get the rain, God wants don't think that God can't make it rain. God can make it rain. 
But before it rains, he's got to do something to get your heart. Will you hear this passage on this morning? Will you hear that indeed it is the Lord God who answers prayer? Perhaps you need to change your prayer language. You need to change the content of your prayer. Pray that, pray that people would know that the Lord is God. That when God turns your situation around, that nobody would be mistaken about who turned it around. That people's hearts would be turned back to God. That your heart would be turned back to God. That people and you would fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, that's what we see happen. And it seemed like Jesus was in that grave on the third day. And it looked like God had lost the battle. But even in a deficit, after three days early that Sunday morning, Jesus got up from the grave with all power in his hands. Because we know that our God is a God that is never defeated. Baal can't defeat him. Muhammad can't defeat him. Confucius can't defeat him. We have a God that has the name above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that yes, indeed, he is Lord. Because we have a God who answers prayer. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org or you can contact us at 301-559-2200.